0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standek and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. It is cut down day. Washington is down to a 53-player roster for now. Meaning oh, there's 53 guys on the team. We'll see if that's the case Wednesday or l- later in the week. But a lot to get to. I'll go through everything that happened today. Uh, I'll give you some behind the scenes as to what was what was happening? What, what what happened with Jimmy Moreland? Why was he let go? What was the big what was the, the move that Washington made that caught league sources most by surprise? Uh and what's the what's the roster look like right now? What's the strengths, weaknesses, whatever that may be? We'll get to all that. Plus the good stories. Samus Reyes is sticking around, Jared Patterson, Dax Milne, some interesting stories, lots to get to, and we're not done you're going to have your own personal NFL matchup show mind us the video greg Cosell, one of the voices on the NFL matchup show on ESPN we spoke before cutdown day went through it all uh the defense what can this group do which defensive lineman did, did he ta- did he focus on the most not chase young somebody else that he really like some defensive wrinkles. Uh, Jamin Davis, we got a lot into that. He watched the first two preseason games and has some interesting thoughts on how he's seen the first round pick. On the offensive side, we got into Scott Turner's X's and O's, Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, uh, Dax Milne, Greg Cosell, big Dax Milne fan. True story. Uh, And yes, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick as well. So it's going to be a really fun interview there. This will be a fun show. I am excited to be here, and I'm excited for you guys, of course, to check out all the episodes of the podcast. I've had some really great guests um, over the last, uh, well, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do as best I can, but in particular, in the last few days, uh, Adam Kaplan, John Hanson, uh fantasy football guy, and of course, uh, Greg, it's been a really good, to had John Kaim on and Matt Paris as well. So a lot of good local and national guests uh, and I am excited to get them all to you guys here. Of course, you can make sure you, you can listen to all those past episodes or su- make sure you don't miss any new ones by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you do your podcasting. Of course, also would love it if you subscribe to The Athletic, my v- review of everything that happened today. And what it all means, more of a symbolic look, to some degree, a symbolic look at what all, all the turnover that's happened under Ron Rivera in his two uh, two seasons or two off seasons, I guess. Um, all that on The Athletic. There is, by the way, a 50% discount offer right now. So if you subscribe, click on my article about um, the cutdown day or any of my articles, and you will get that deal um okay let's get to this before we get to Greg lots to get to it was a busy last couple of days Washington started making moves on Monday they released 10 players there they had to go from 80 to 53 it's sort of 81 to 53 because of the David bada international thing he's still actually on the roster because um, he suffered a leg injury in the Ravens game so the league is giving Washington a um a time to figure out or time for to deal with this. He's on some sort of an IR. It's slightly confusing in any event, eventually he'll either be on the 53 or more likely released. And then probably clears waivers to go to the practice squad. That is not the story of the day. Let's get to some of the headliners. Um, Jimmy Moreland. I don't know how much I talked about this on this podcast before, but I think I did talk a little bit about it. I did write about it um, in my final 53 player projection. I did not. At least Jimmy Moreland but I called him the wild card because it was getting confusing as to where he was going to fit in. They kept playing Kendall Fuller more in the slot as Benjamin St. Just stepped up and became looks like a guy who maybe could start for this group when they have when they go three corners opposite William Jackson. Um, then you also have Cam Curl as that you know Buffalo nickel. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, where does Jimmy Morgan fit in? He's not an outside corner, small guy, not a special teams player. Uh, I thought they might trade him. And in fact, I was told by a league source that Washington was shopping him around, just couldn't get anything done. And ultimately he was, I guess to say, the, the, from a big name perspective, I mean, he's a big name here, the people's corner, people love him. My when I broke that news that he was cut, the the amount of people who responded on Twitter and had something to say about Jimmy Moreland was a pretty huge number. So that was the surprise of the day. Uh, Ron Rivera basically said that um, you, you know they they had some other options, Tory McTire. Who obviously, we've talked about on this podcast, and I had him on my fifty-three. That he had mismade plays all camp. um You know, Troy Apke I get it. <laughs> I get it. A lot of you were like, "Really, Troy Apke You got to be kidding me. Yeah, again, I, I, I don't know how many more times to say it, but um yes, bomb at safety. Not saying he's a cornerback you actually want in the game, but play special teams. They like him there. I it, it, I'd be lying to you if I said that I watch enough special teams to tell you how great Travke is. Simultaneously, you don't watch it either, right? You're not you're not paying attention to see how good he is. They think he's that good. Nate Katzer has had him the whole time. That's what they like. Good, good or bad, I don't know what to tell you. But teams do keep players for special teams purposes. And those players are not usually guys you want on the offense. Or, sorry, or you want to play in the real game. I know that special teams players, they play 15 to 20 snaps a game. Danny Johnson last year played zero cornerback snaps. Troy Apke may never play corner, and if it comes to that, they'll have to probably figure something out. They did also keep Daryl Robert, too. I kind of, like, moved on from because he kind of felt slow during camp. I think in the last podcast uh, with Matt Paris, I talked about what's the opposite of recency bias. Somebody kindly told me what it was online, and then I totally forgot already what it was. But uh, in any event, I, I, I thought Daryl Roberts kind of slow start. I think mean, Ron Rivera alluded to that today, but in Rivera's estimation, he stepped up. I did notice he had a good game. he made some good plays against the Ravens. That was apparently enough. So they moved on from Jimmy Moreland. Um, I reported that he had a, an injury designation. Basically, Jimmy Moreland had a bru- has a bruised knee. Um, not considered to be a big deal. Should be ready to go for week one, wherever that is. I, I, by the time you hear this, you, we may already know doubt it'll be here it wouldn't stun me at all if some team claims them off waivers uh because cornerbacks are pretty um yeah you know, teams need cornerbacks and i um, mean i had team I, I i heard from people checking or saying that they thought washington there they have enough cornerbacks to keep an eye on i thought danny johnson who was also released might be somebody to keep an eye on and maybe he is wasn't necessarily thinking moreland but there you go um the other, I think, surprise move probably for some people and my, myself a little bit, Antonio Gandy-Golden, last year's fourth-round pick. Had him on my 53. You know, I just went for the notion of, hey, you spent the pick last year, kind of throw last year out between the COVID situation. he A, a, a kid coming from Liberty needs the work. He didn't get it. Then he gets hurt. It was basically a red shirt year. He's got really good size. And I thought he did some decent things in camp. But admittedly, if you took away the fourth round um, aspect and just said, this is the player, does he make this team? I, I don't think it's necessarily a lock. And Ron Rivera has said he said the other day, there becomes a point that the draft status doesn't matter. You just have to decide this isn't for us and we're going to move on. And they did have a lot of other options. Washington kept seven receivers. They kept Dax Milne. They kept DeAndre Carter, who will be the punt returner. Um, but they like those guys on top of the five that we knew they were going to keep. We don't need to go through that whole list. Um, so a surprise. I, I thought perhaps they would at least try to trade him. I don't know if they did or didn't. But he moves on again. I would be surprised if he doesn't. If he makes off waivers, I would think some team would grab him again. A fourth round pick a year ago. Somebody else, I'm sure, is going to think why not? Um, why not us? Last one. Not a, not a real surprise, but a name. Peyton Barber, their short yardage back. I think once they tried Antonio Gibson on a few short yardage runs in game two, it felt like to me, like they are trying to move on from Barber. They obviously did. Plus the emergence of Jared Patterson gave them a third running back. So they moved on there. I didn't have Barber on my 53. So not a surprise in that sense, but obviously a guy that we're familiar with both from his time here, as well as uh, throughout the league. Um, Let's get to some good news, right? It's not just about guys gone. It's guys staying. Samus Reyes is still here. Now, you know I've been saying for a while that I thought he was going to stay that he would not clear waivers that other teams around the league um were interested and that was I was told that uh, by a few different by a few different folks so I think um that to me made a, made a lot of sense to keep him they also did keep Ricky Seals-Jones as a fourth tight end so I will be curious to see how much Samus Reyes actually plays um his best attribute is going to be as a blocker right now he's still pretty shaky with his hands trying to catch the ball. And you have, obviously, Logan Thomas. uh, Ricky Seals-Jones can do that. uh, And you have John Bates as well. So I don't know how much Samus Reyes will play, but the reason why it's interesting is because it's a question, because he made the team. So kudos to him, a guy who had never played football uh, until a few months ago. His first football game at any level was the Patriots preseason opener, and he makes an NFL roster. It says a lot about not what he's necessarily done so far, but their potential... And like I said, a lot of teams in the league from that workout he had at the University of Florida really were impressed. And that's why Washington jumped on him and signed him to an actual contract, not just an international pathway contract like um, um like, like with uh, David Botta. Uh Jared Patterson, just, you know, we talked about this, kind of a, it's been obvious for a while he was going to make the team. He, he did, in fact, make the team. I mentioned Dax Milne. He makes the team. He was the penultimate pick. In the draft, I kind of thought to myself, and I said this on the podcast, and I think I talked about this with Greg, that, you know, he's the last, he was the next to last pick in the draft. I thought he had a really good camp. I, I really like him. And on other years, he makes his team pretty easily, but they just had so many other receivers. And since receivers are deeper in the league, could you cut him and um, get him through waivers, put him on a practice squad, go from there? Well, whatever. They, they didn't. They kept him. And look, I, th- I would imagine if he, progresses this year. I don't know how much he'll play when you have all the other receivers that they have, but if he progresses in their eyes, I could easily see him being the slot receiver next year. Adam Humphries is on a one-year deal. Um, As I said, Carter will be the returner. It appears based on what Rivera said today, but kudos to Dax Milne. Another seventh round pick made the team pass rusher shock at Tony. I had Tony on my 53 before the last game. I didn't take him off because I didn't like him. I decided that Casey Tuhill I thought would make it. He did, but it was William Bradley King getting knocked off, not Chaka Tony. We'll see if William Bradley King makes the practice squad. Rivera said he liked him, but, you know, they ran out of space. They kept nine defensive linemen. So we'll see. So kudos to those guys for um, making the, the the team. This is a very young roster. Um William Bradley King was the only rookie. All, all the rookies made it. This The draft picks made it except for William Bradley King. Um, Washington did cut two from last year's class. Gandy Golden and fifth-round pick Keith Ishmael. Um, Ishmael could possibly make the practice squad. I guess we'll just see if other teams out there decide they want to take a shot on him. Uh, Tyler Larson beat him out for the backup center position. Um, here's the biggest surprise of the day, though, for me. I mentioned Jimmy Moreland. I mean, yes, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm I'm not surprised I didn't pick him on my 53, but as I said, I wrote about it that he was definitely a wild card that was something to keep an eye on. I can't sit here and tell you that I'm not like, I'm like, oh, of course I predicted Gandy Golden. I also had him on the 53, but you know, it, it felt uncomfortable. It wasn't a lock. Okay. I kind of put David Mayo as a lock to me um, as a fifth linebacker and a special teams demon. Uh, they signed him to a one-year deal, just under a million dollars this this off season. I remember when Tress Way um, spoke uh, to us this year a, a couple weeks ago. Um, it came up about like the, the special teams. You know, like I think I think it might have been my question to him. I'm not sure something about like when do you know what you have? And he talked about just how David Mayo, when he was playing for the Giants, was just a menace on special teams. And my view was, and I think others had the same view that the sixth linebacker for Washington would be probably either Jordan Kanasek or Jared Norris, two guys that would clear waivers. You, you, you release them, you put them on the practice squad. You bring one of them up the first couple weeks, if you want to help on special teams or more, have some more linebacker depth and whatever, but David Mayo would stay instead Washington cut all three of them. And I will just tell you that, um, not long after that went out, I got a call. I got a text. I should say, from a um, uh, a, a pro personnel uh, dir- uh, director for another team, and he his, the he he texted. Wait, did Washington cut David Mayo? And I said, Yeah. and, he, and his response was, Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, another another team told me they were surprised by that as well. Um, Again, this is sort of in the Troy Apke range in that we're talking about a special teams player, but Dave Mayo also played some linebacker. Right now, they only have four linebackers on the team. Uh, Obviously, the three starters, as it were, Cole Holcomb, John Bostic, Jamin Davis, plus Klee Hudson. I asked uh, Ron Rivera about that today. We had a press conference with Rivera and Martin Mayhew, and Rivera said that they're that it's a position they're still looking at. It didn't give us too many details uh, on, on, on why they chose what they did. So it wouldn't stun me at all if any of these guys, any of those three guys come back in some capacity. But I I don't know. We'll see if Mayo makes it through waivers or not. I, I, I'm curious to know what happened there. You know, I would have thought it seemed like he was having a reasonable camp, but obviously they decided that they could move on. So uh, we'll see which one of those guys come back. But I, to me, that was probably be the most surprising cut on some level. Cause I just figured he would stay as the fifth guy. And whereas like with and Gandy golden to me, it was like sort of debatable. Um, so where does that leave us here? Uh, well, here's what the roster composition looks like. They kept the three quarterbacks, right? They kept the three running backs. They kept seven receivers, which is the number I had, but I thought it would be one of the returners and Gandy golden. Instead. They went for two returner types with Carter and Milne. Uh, they kept four tight ends, uh, you know, I think Ricky Seals Jones had a, had a decent camp. Uh, he did, especially as a pass catcher. Just figured he might be a guy that could sneak through waivers. You know, I like to maximize all the spaces I can. They they they, they kept him, and you know, fine. Uh, nine offensive linemen. I think we had those pretty nailed. Thought David Sharp maybe could stay because tackles are at a premium. But he missed so much time with COVID, and or you know, he was on the COVID list. I don't, I don't know if he had it, but he was on the COVID list. That to me dropped him off. I didn't have him on my fifty three thought that could change it did not kept nine defensive linemen uh it wouldn't stun me if they add somebody here because the de- the backup ends right now James Smith Williams who had shin surgery this off season, sat out the last preseason game because of leg soreness Casey Tuhill missed the entire preseason with a toe injury Shaka Tony has played zero NFL snaps those are your current backups. That's a long way from having a veteran like Ryan Kerrigan behind Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So it wouldn't stun me at all if they if they uh, if there's somebody out there uh, a defensive lineman to grab. And maybe I, I this is just speculating that maybe 2 hill goes on IR. I've heard the hill could be close, but we've heard Curtis Samuel could be close for weeks and it's not. So who knows? Um, four linebackers. Have to imagine they'll add somebody else tomorrow. But for now, at a minimum, that, if not the practice squad, so there's that. Uh, six cornerbacks. I think once Moreland moved on, you needed, and with, with, McCot- with McTire, uh, he was getting to out for concussion in the last game. You needed another corner somewhere, like Troy Apke. Again, not a cornerback. He could play it, but not a corner. Uh, Daryl Roberts can play the position. He's a standard cornerback. That's, that's, that's fine. Good for him. So he, he stays. And then you have the five safeties. I didn't mention Jeremy Reeves among those. Cut. Um, fan favorite. We'll see if he's back on the practice squad or not. Don't know about that one for sure. Uh, could could generate some interest. He also might say, hey, you know what? I, I, I <laughs> You know, I've been turned down enough by you guys. Maybe it's time to find fresh life elsewhere. But I, I think he's a popular guy. We know Rivera liked him. Um, I think it's just the numbers game. But regardless... That's that's what happened there. Um, anyway, it was an interesting day. I don't want to say it was a fun day because it's not a fun day, right? Uh, guys are losing their jobs. This is tough for a lot of people. Um, you know, it was an, it was an energetic day, uh, energetic 24 hours, trying to chase down the various cuts and all that. And, um, you know, I appreciate everybody following along on Twitter and elsewhere. <laughs> um, it's bizarre to see people sort of cheering us on when we're all doing this, but it was an, it, it was an interesting day to say the least. And, you know, there's things you you, you learn along the way. I mentioned a few things here about uh, Moreland and Mayo and, and, uh, you know, some other things. Um, There will be 16 players to go to the practice squad. You know, if you look at the list of the players who are cut, I've already mentioned some of them. I'm sure a lot of these guys Washington will try to bring back. I think offensive tackle David Steinmetz is another one. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep at least two, three, four offensive linemen. Um, Rivera has hinted as much. So that would be a thing. Um. On the defensive line, I think Daniel Wise is somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, I think Gabe Wright is somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, William Bradley King, I guess in theory, is somebody to keep an eye on as well. And look, Danny Johnson, who I like, would would be a fun guy to keep around and and, and a good locker room player. We'll see what happens. wouldn't stun me if they could keep him around, if he would be up on the roster at some point. But, you know, for now, they'll have to uh, see what happens. And as far as a quarterback goes, it didn't – Steven Montez came up today with Rivera. He was among those guys cut yesterday. It, you know, I look at it like if you're cut on Saturday, they kind of moved on from you. So based on that, I think Steven Montez might be gone. Rivera, I think, made the point today that I say I think, I don't remember what happened 10 minutes ago, let alone a few hours ago when we talked to him, but I believe he said um, that because of the new rules and the the players don't have to go through, the the, the vaccinated players don't have to go through the, the waiting period like they did last year, having three, like you can get a quarterback immediately versus if you need one versus last year where it was a process. So we'll see. I, you know, I, if you have 16 spots, I'm not sure why I wouldn't keep what, keep a quarterback. Uh Will Greer was released by Carolina. He was a third round pick in 2019 drafted by Marty Herney for a team coached by Ron Rivera. You'd have to think there'd be some interest there. Kyle Letta, the former Richmond quarterback was released by the Browns. I mentioned this because I know Washington had significant interest in him when he came out. I want to say it was 2018. He was a fourth round pick, I think by the giants, Washington had interested in him. Some of those people are still in the building. Scott Turner was at his pro day, not saying at the lock, just saying and other teams will obviously have some interest, just saying some things to keep an eye on. Um, as for what else is going on with this team, it's going to be a short week Wednesday. It's really like a bonus day practice, uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to do much at all. Maybe a sort of a walkthrough thing as uh, Rivera figures out who's on the practice squad and, and, and what sort of the roster looks like on Thursday will be a padded practice. And then that they, they kind of go away for the weekend or Labor Day weekend and get back at it for real next week to get ready for the chargers. So um, a lot going on there. If you guys have other questions, you can of course leave comments in the, uh, in my story on the athletic, you can tweet me at Ben standing. You want to email me, be standing at the athletic.com. You want to send a sky Rider with a question. I mean, just, you got to tell me to look. So I'll see. Other than that, I may not see it'll be a waste of your money, but it, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will get some attention by somebody. Um, all right. Um, so let's, uh, I'm sure I forgot something off of today. Uh, you know, you can find the full list. You know, obviously online or go to the go to my store on the Athletic where we have all the names of the 27 cut. David Bada still to go one way or the other. Um, Ron Rivera is happy. Oh, I guess this is the one last thing I'll say. There are only 16 players now left that Ron Rivera inherited. A lot of turnover. Um, West Martin was out today. A guy who was drafted by the previous regime. Jeremy Reeves as well. 16 players left. There's some good players, and Rivera said today, hey, I inherited some good stuff. We had a good core. Now we've added to it, and we think or we hope that this is what we've done is enough to start sustaining success, and ultimately that is sort of to me what it is about it. It's not just about going for it in a given year. Can you do it year in and year out? If you can do that, uh, you know, take enough swings, I think eventually you probably break break through to have a good playoff run, if not make the Super Bowl. Um not predicting that this year, just saying that's I think that's a good way to go. Rivera seems to be into that. We'll see what happens. Um, all right. Um, enough out of me. I appreciate you guys getting to this far. Uh, we're gonna get to my conversation with Greg Cosell about all things Washington football team right after this. All right, excited to welcome him back. Yes, he's back. He's not he did he didn't run away from the first time he was on with me. Pre-draft, he he was willing to return to talk about the Washington football team. He is part of the NFL. I just I just forgot NFL matchup show right of on on the ESPN, uh, which which is going to premiere this season on September 11th. He is the great Greg Cosell. I literally just asked you about the name eight seconds ago. It tells you where <laughs> my my brain is mush after a month of training camp and dealing with the heat this week. I don't no idea what's going on. Greg, I appreciate the time. How are you doing? i'm doing great ben yes the nfl matchup show it'll be i guess my
1: fifth year on set and uh my let's see show started in 1984 believe it or not so quite a few years as producer as well but uh, my fifth year on the set with south palantonio and uh, matt
0: bowen yeah matt obviously a former uh, washington player um yep. does a does a great job himself um i this is i i did uh, we were just discussing some things that we may discuss and i didn't even ask you this but i, I will just sort of throw you a quick curveball you get you you watch every something on all these different teams is there anything you just like you know you, when you know you're going to watch this thing whatever this is maybe it's tom brady dropping back sean McVay calling plays bill Belichick. i don't know whatever it is there's just something that you just beyond work that you just enjoy watching
1: uh you mean are there teams or players i enjoy watching more than others sure i mean uh we'll leave that alone for now though ben we'll, we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll discuss watch the washington football fair,
0: fair enough. <laughs> it's just like yeah it's just like people saying they're the music but what you know what type of uh, sure. type of music well, that um, i can that i can talk about you can probably
1: i know people can't uh, see us this is just audio but you can probably see by my shirt that
0: there's you know certain music that i like Yes, you've got a, a Led Zeppelin uh, shirt on. I believe uh, Tony Pauline, I, who I've had on pre dar I think he's also a, a big Led Zeppelin guy. So that's uh, two for the Stairway to Heaven crowd. Uh, although that's <laughs> probably, I'm, I'm picking the most uh, obvious song of that catalog. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, well, speaking of tape, what I was going to ask you is, um, I'm, I remember last year when when everything was new here with the coaching staff, I asked Jack Del Rio as he was getting uh, acquainted with his players, who was somebody on, his ta- on this team that he just enjoyed watching Their tape, and I and I guess I'm just wondering for you as you I don't know how you prepare to think about a certain team or or how or or for the season, but when you got to Washington at some point, what just either you were excited to watch, stood out to you, what uh, what was interesting to you about Washington as you started to head into this season?
1: Well, this isn't a profound statement, but they arguably have the best defensive line in the NFL, and we know that Chase Young gets a lot of publicity, and it's well deserved, obviously. But I've always been a, a big fan. And this is purely a, from a tape study perspective, because that's all I talk about. I don't I don't know the player, but I've always been a very big fan based on tape of Duran Payne. So he's he's a player that that, uh, you know, I enjoy watching. He's part of, as I said, one of the best
0: D line, if not the best D line units in the league. Well, it's funny you say that because Jack Torrio's answer to me was Deron Payne. Really? This was, yeah, this was this what Chase Young had not played yet. Well, wow. um, for the team. But yeah, that was his answer. Uh, as, as, well, I, well, I've known Jack
1: for years, so I guess, you know,
0: uh,
1: I don't want to say great minds think
0: alike. I would never
1: say that about myself. But I uh, know Deron Payne is a player that uh, I've always liked. And I think he's really, really good. And given their defense and the focus on Chase Young, uh, certainly Montez Sweat. They had Kerrigan for a number of years there before
0: he left to come here to uh, Philly. But uh, Deron Payne, I think, is a really good player but he's so interesting to me this year in the sense that obviously Chase Young gets all the attention and, you know, understandably. So he defensive rookie of the year, he's got a lot of personality, the number two pick, the whole thing. Then you have Montez sweat who led the team in sacks last year, guys, the pass rushers are going to get a lot of attention. And even more locally, Jonathan Allen, is the local kid. He was the first of these four consecutive first round picks. He just signed an yep. extension this year. And Deron Payne is the quieter one of the group from a personality perspective. And he's the run stuffer, which doesn't get as much attention. And yet some people think he may be the most talented one on the bunch. He does have an interesting component next off season. Cause he'll be the one coming up for extension. We'll see how that goes, but what about him for you does kind of stand out. And, and wh- how would you sort of describe his importance to everything else that's going to be kind of happening on this line and and for this defense?
1: Well, I think I guess what stands out to me watching him is his body type is short and stout, but yet I think he's got really light feet and really good movement quickness and efficiency of movement quickness. I mean, they use him at times as the looper in stunt games where he loops behind the picker and he can bend. He's flexible for that kind of body type. So I obviously I'm talking about pass rush, but uh, he just is really a good athlete with light, quick feet and body flexibility for someone with that kind of
0: build. Um, he has not gone to a Pro Bowl yet, which is not Pro Bowl is a weird thing. You know, it's, it's a lot of popularity contests and things like that. Anything.
1: That doesn't mean anything.
0: But I guess, do you get a sense that he is? Obviously, he's still a young player, so I wouldn't want to say he's reached his potential. But do you get the sense that he has sort of reached his potential to this point, or is he or or what's the step for him to become when we have the conversation of who are Pro Bowl players and you know who, who have the elite status? Is there a step for him to get there, or do you think he's maybe doesn't quite have enough to be at that level?
1: I think he is at that level, I just think he's on a really good defense. And on a D line with a lot of good players, and he's not the first name that uh, writers or other players may think about. The Pro Bowl, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I don't even look at the Pro Bowl. So I, half the time, I don't even know sure. who's named to the Pro Bowl. Sure. So that really doesn't mean anything to me. D- Deron Payne is a really good player, and I guarantee that the offensive coaches, when they prepare for the Washington defense, Ben. They know about Deron Payne and they know what kind of player he is. The tape tells you what kind of player he is, and that's really all that matters.
0: Right. A- a- absolutely. Um, I-, I don't want to get too bogged down in this next question, but since we mentioned Payne and we're talking about the defensive line, this is interesting to me. Like, you know, for any team, you want to maximize the assets that you have available. And Washington's defensive line, it's not just those four guys who each of them could be, you know, are a, thought of very highly. Uh, for what they do. But then you also have behind them, Matt Ioannidis, who led the team in sacks in 2019. Last year goes out with a uh, season-ending injury in week three. So lose there, but he's back. You know, looks good, looks fine in camp. And Washington did last year, according to Football Outsiders, ran more plays with five defensive linemen than anyone else. That was only 58. It's less than four snaps a game. Let's not go too crazy on that. But in camp, they have, you know, all throughout camp, they have used that look a bit. And the reason I think it's interesting is, one, they have these players all very good and two you know they drafted Jamin Davis to help the linebacker core it seems apparent at this moment we're talking Friday before the third preseason game that at this moment he is not quite ready for prime time yet he's still learning the process which means Cole Holcomb John Bostic I would assume we're going to get most of the snaps that was not necessarily the best look last year I think Holcomb is poised for a better year but Bostic maybe is overexposed playing a lot they also have a deep secondary and I keep wondering is it make almost is it conceivable for a team to have five defensive linemen play with more than just the force you know the less than four snaps a game is that something that's even conceivable you obviously get chase young montez sweater the athletes they are you want them rushing the quarterback but you can do different things what do you just even make of that lineup is that something to consider when you have that talent up front and maybe some deficiencies right behind them well,
1: you'd only do that depending on down and distance. You're not going to do that on third and long. Sure. So could they do it? Sure. Um, I actually watched uh, the two preseason games, and I watched all of Jamin Davis's sacks. And I thought he was much better against Cincinnati than he was against New England. So in the second game, I thought he played faster. I thought he had quicker reactions. Um, he was not as tentative as he was versus the Patriots. Um, I think he's going to play sooner than you think. Okay. Now, again, I certainly can't speak to what Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio think or what they've stated publicly. Um, all rookies, normally, coaches take the the conservative approach when they speak about them. That's just built into the coaching profession. So, what they say publicly, I'm not sure. I, I if they've spoken about it, you you cover the team. I don't I don't uh, follow every comment that they make. But if they've taken a conservative view, that doesn't mean anything to me. Jamin Davis will play sooner than later. Um, It may not be 50 snaps week one, but he's going to be on the field sooner than later. He's over 6'3". He's 235 pounds. The tape shows that he can take on blocks. He can play with physicality. He's got excellent speed and range. He's very good in pass coverage. He'll be on the field sooner than later, Ben
0: um okay well that's great to hear the all 22 is not out yet for the layman like me so i even have only had a chance to really watch the the tape and then rewatch you know watch the replay i mean you know th- that type of thing and we obviously we talked to, to rivera and the other players and jamie davis himself and you know the idea of him playing more downhills come up a bunch del rio said you know basically yeah he just needs more reps and that seems to be the basic takeaway And Um, and against
1: New England, that was correct. He was tentative. He sort of waited to see what was happening before moving forward in the run game. Uh, I thought he was better against Cincinnati. He'll continue to get better. And Rivera is right. He needs more reps. He's going to get those reps, but he is, I don't want to say unique that that's a word that means singular he's not singular but he's a little different given his size and his length there's not a lot of linebackers who are six three and a quarter with his kind of athletic movement
0: we we, we talked before about the defensive line and 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 so on that they've been using jamie davis primarily in the middle um on it when they're going with, the base, yeah, with he a played base mike. Look.
1: he played mike with holcomb playing strong and um bostic
0: playing the will um, for sure. And so you obviously saw this team a year ago where they had Bostic more in the middle uh, right. with Holcomb and Kevin Pierre Lewis, primarily as the outside guy when they were going with a base, what do you think ultimately? And I, we, whether it's week one that Jamie Davis plays more week five, week 10, what, what is the potential that he, that he can actually bring this defense if he's able to live up to some of the things he you were just kind of talking about Use his athleticism, like what will that actually tangibly look like when he's playing behind this actual defensive line
1: well he was drafted to be a three down linebacker he was a first round pick you're not drafting him to play just in a base defense and play 25 or 30 percent of your snaps his athleticism and his length make him a three down player he will eventually do that i mean last year 64 percent of their defensive snaps came in nickel so he's not he wasn't just drafted to play 36 percent of their defensive snaps he will play he will be a three down backer um Who he plays with when it gets to that point—that's the question. Who will it be, Holcomb or will it be Bostic? And that's a hard question to answer right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would guess Holcomb. I think Holcomb is ascending. At Bostic, like I said, I just my my assessment is that just you know he's been solid throughout his career, but like him playing three downs, is probably a bit much. But that's why it's interesting because they used so much, uh you know, sub package last year. They had uh, Cameron Curl playing as this. Uh, Buffalo Nichols so taking the linebacker off the field he's playing there but he's also played some free safety they have Bobby McCain and Landon Collins so they've got to they're gonna have a lot of three safeties they're also gonna I think have a lot of three cornerback looks on the field and I'm curious what you think of this so they they signed William Jackson obviously a big lucrative deal to be their top corner however you want to label him uh he's been a bit beat up in camp and hasn't played a ton but let's just assume he'll be ready by the time we get to the season um they also have kendall fuller who was signed as a big kind of free agent last year now when fuller was here the first time he was a slot corner was where he seemed to be really effective but last year they kind of kept them outside with jimmy moreland in the slot but also the cam curl as this uh buffalo nickel in camp what they've been doing a lot is moving fuller inside to the slot even with jackson out and they've been having Benjamin St. Juice, their third round pick out of Minnesota play on the other outside with Jackson. And I think ultimately that's the lineup, those two on the outside, fuller in the slot with Landon Collins, and then either probably Cam Curl, but maybe Bobby McCain, that that's going to become their, their, their top group. I'm just sort of throwing this at you, but with William Jackson, sort of perhaps as the linchpin as that uh, top corner, what do you make of a configuration like that? And just how William Jackson, I guess, kind of fits in with this, uh, with this group
1: well last year once curl became the starter at strong safety when collins went out he no longer played the nickel that that position went to jimmy morland right so i thought personally curl played better than collins i'm very anxious to see how that plays out at the safety position because i thought curl played that he played landon collins position a year ago and i thought that he played better than collins so we'll see how it all plays out um you could be right i mean this is a team last year that in third and long situations played a lot of cover four they played a lot of zone but cover four also has a man element to it what they often did was play the boundary corner the corner to the short side of the field he would lock on in man-to-man coverage to the boundary x receiver and i could easily see them doing that with william jackson william jackson is a very good man-to-man corner But a lot of zone concepts, whether it's cover four or cover three, they will take the boundary corner and match him up man-to-man. So simply because the coverage call is a zone-based call does not mean that there's no man-to-man element to it. And they could easily use Jackson in that role. Um, You know, you mentioned Benjamin St. Juice. Now, obviously he was a player whose tape I watched coming out of the University of Minnesota. And I thought, He was a really fascinating projection to the league, given his elite size and length. He's more than 6'3". He's got a lean, linear body frame. Um, He's a smooth, fluid athlete. I thought he had, for whatever it means, and again, it may mean something. It may mean nothing. I thought he had some really good snaps against Jamar Chase against Cincinnati. Uh, But he's a smooth, fluid athlete. He's got comfortable movement traits. He's not sudden and twitchy, but if he's going to play zone, particularly, I know he played left corner this past week, uh, and I think he played left corner in, in both the preseason games, but uh, even if he plays the uh, the field corner, if, if he plays outside and they want Jackson to play to the boundary, he doesn't necessarily have to be twitchy because he'll play a lot of zone concepts more than man concepts, so what he brings to the party is rare length for a perimeter corner and he's got plus athleticism and those two traits make him a, a pretty interesting prospect.
0: Yeah I, I've been impressed with what I've seen um, about him so far o- on the field I, I did a profile on him the other day so I got to know him a little bit more uh, uh, you know was, uh, on the off the field side and he, he's an, he's an impressive player and a, an impressive young man based on a few a few minutes of interaction so i'm curious to see and it's based on practice and the game in the preseason the coaching staff clearly likes what they're seeing and they're using him um a fair amount and and i also say i appreciate the way you kind of described the the man zone situation i think from on the layman perspective sometimes we make it a binary choice you're going to play one or you're going to play the other and obviously no, these things are far more no complicated or far more uh, uh complex as well, it's, not, for. it's not
1: complex i mean a lot of teams do this and just, I mean, I went through a ton of Washington's defense this summer. I watched a lot of third down. And while cover four was a foundational and featured coverage for Washington, particularly on third and long, they, they often played with that matchup element to the boundary. You know, different teams have different names for it. I just say it's boundary lock. But that's what a lot of teams do when they play either cover three or cover four. They lock man to man the boundary X receiver. So it's not just pure zone.
0: Gotcha. Um, before we switch over to the offense, you, you mentioned that you've watched uh, some of the, some of their preseason games or their, their their preseason games. So I'm just sort of curious. Broadly, we're talking before cuts. I want to get into that. But was there anybody who st- stood out to you that maybe you were surprised about, whether it's a, a start or maybe it was somebody deeper on the roster that you just had maybe you hadn't had a, a feel for a rookie? Did anybody just as you're watching that tape kind of jump, jump out in any in any way?
1: Now I was basically watching Davis and St. Jude, so I wasn't really, you know, studying other players because, you know, those were two guys I obviously watched in coming out, watched a lot of their tape from their last year in college. So I was just curious to see them. So I wasn't really focusing on on other players on defense.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, fair fair enough. Let, let, let's uh, switch over to the other side of the ball, and before I ask you about Fitzpatrick. Uh, I am sort of curious, obviously with what you do, you know, the X's and O's of it all watching the tape, Scott Turner, he's going to his second year as an offensive coordinator. I I keep sort of in my head thinking like, I don't even know if I, I mean, there's a lot of motion in what he's trying to do. Um, He's a, he's a pretty aggressive play caller. It seems by nature, but like last year the offense was so watered down at times because either Dwayne Haskins just was not ready for prime time. Alex Smith was limited obviously physically um, and they didn't have a lot of weapons. Uh, beyond you know Terry McLaurin and and Antonio Gibson on the perimeter, so I don't even necessarily know if we've seen the full version of what a Scott Turner offense may be. They do have more pieces, and whatever you think of Ryan Fitzpatrick, he is uh, an aggressive thrower down the field. Do you have a feel, I guess, at this point as to what a Scott? What do you think of Scott Turner and and his offense, and and perhaps what we might see with a little more with a little more options this year?
1: Well, I think ultimately Scott's offense would be very much be like his dad nor offense in that they want the run game to be the starting point and then work the play action pass game with the intermediate and vertical elements so when i say vertical i don't mean just dropping back and throwing it 50 yards down the field you know there's a lot of in breaking routes to this offense there's there's vertical elements there's and i think that's what they'd ultimately like they see gibson who's close to 230 pounds as as the kind of back that can be the foundation piece of a, uh, of a run game because he's got the size and he's got the power and, and he's got sustainability to him because of that, because of the way he's built. Um, so I'm sure they, and they've got a tight end and we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but I think that that's what they see when they they look at this offense is they see the run game, the play action element to it. And then they see, uh, they see potential big plays. So let, let's ultimately look at Gibson. You know, Gibson to me, is he's kind of a build up speed runner um, more than a short area explosive runner. I wouldn't call him shifty and elusive with loose hips, but he's he's a downhill freight train type runner and he's got good speed. If you get him a little bit of a track to get to speed, he can be a pretty powerful back.
0: Yeah, I mean, he had a pretty impressive. I remember like taking a step back after the year and looking at what he did, both from a number standpoint and then just some of those performances. The Thanksgiving game against Dallas, yeah, to have nothing helping him at quarterback, uh, not you know, other than McLaurin, really nobody else on the field. You really had to like worry about consistently. The offensive line was okay um, that, that, that that he was able to be that productive, but also a guy who was only he barely played running back in in college to 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 no, to he, evolve in that way. I mean, it really does make one wonder how high this can go. his last year in, in Memphis, he was
1: a slot receiver for the most part, but I would say he's a powerful, competitive, relentless, a little bit straight line, but he's a downhill runner. Um, he's got a strong lower body. He's competitive. Um, he's got finishing traits. I think he's got the attributes of a volume back. I think in an ideal world, you could give him the ball 15 to 20 times a game and, uh, and he could be effective
0: for you in that role. Um, it's funny that, that I'm thinking in my head, like, who do I want to ask you about next? And last year, this would have been pretty simple. I asked you about Terry McLaurin and Gibson, and then that's it. Uh, this year, with this, there's more guys to, to get to. I am curious. Uh, you mentioned tight end Logan Thomas. We, we, we can go there for sure. I mean, I think that was a huge surprise for me last year. You know, obviously he had no real track record of being a productive tight end prior to signing with Washington he wasn't just productive he was one of the you know top pass catching tight ends in the league last year and I can just say at practice he it feels like he's already maybe Fitzpatrick's most trusted uh, target he really they really seem to have a good connection obviously he's doing good things with McLaurin too but it just feels like a really good connect with Logan Thomas for a guy who only he had played the position a little bit but only has really had this one sort of breakout year what do you see as the next step for for that guy
1: Oh, I think he'll be an ascending player this year. I I think that he'll be utilized more in the intermediate and vertical pass game. And those, as we said, are foundations of Scott Turner's offense. Um, He did run some vertical routes. He made tough catches that demanded a wide catching radius and good hands, which obviously being a former quarterback, that was pretty impressive. Um, I think he'll be more and more a part of this offense. I know he had over 70 catches and probably around 100 targets. So I don't know how many target he's going to get ben but i think that uh he'll be a very important part of this offense and don't forget fitzpatrick throughout his career he's had a lot of bigger receivers and he throws the ball he's an aggressive thrower so he'll throw the ball to logan thomas thomas is a big man with a big body good hands
0: he'll he'll get the ball thrown to him by uh, ryan fitzpatrick and if if, if Washington's sort of top receivers are Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, whenever he comes back, Adam Humphreys, maybe even De'Ami Brown, the rookie, none of those guys are tall receivers. They're all like six feet or under. Logan Thomas is the one big target. Now Cam Sims is a, is a big target, but we'll see how much he plays. So that, I think that is, especially in the, you know, in the red zone area, or, you know, if it's a, you know, tight, you know, short yardage right, uh, passing situation. Um, I absolutely could see him going and Yeah. I would just say that that to me has been a, a notable, uh, connection between between those two guys uh i i know you said on offense you hadn't you weren't looking necessarily some of the other random players so i'll just we can move on if you haven't did you catch any sense of samus reyes um when he was out there he's like a deep tight end you may have maybe, maybe so off your radar it doesn't even no. matter okay he, he was a uh th- they signed him he's a former college basketball player who played in america but he's from chile he had no nfl experience he had a, he had a workout pre-draft that blew scouts away. Washington signed him to an actual contract and he's just an interesting project. And I was just curious if you had noticed him, not a, not a, yeah, sweat. no, I don't, I don't really know anything about it. So. Well, we'll, we'll all, all good. We'll see if he's, if he makes your, uh, if he makes your yeah. uh, tape down the, down the line. Um, I mentioned Curtis Samuel. This one is just so fascinating to me. He's obviously been a, a fun playmaker. Some think he's more of a gadget whatever it is, you can line him up in a lot of different spots. And when this coaching staff had him at Carolina, people on this pod, you know, listen to this podcast or read stuff. No, they used him more on the outside. I think it was like, you know, it was, yeah. it was prim- primarily outside last year with the new coaching staff after Rivera and Scott Turner left, they used him primarily in the slot and he was actually more productive and more efficient uh, despite playing a lot fewer plays. They used him in the backfield and all that. And I've been wondering how much is Washington going to incorporate what that coaching staff did last year i think some but to what degree we'll see and yet he hasn't been he hasn't practiced one time since i think the first like ota week and where he lines up will affect how much adam humphreys plays or how much cam sims plays or where deami brown plays so i know you're not in the mind of rivera or scott turner but what would your view be of of curtis samuel what would be from your perspective the best way to use him in this offense
1: Well, I think, I mean, to me, he's a receiver. So you're going to line him up outside and in the slot. And on occasion you'll line him up in the backfield that, I mean, a lot of teams do that. It's not a gadget or a gimmick thing, gimmick thing. It's just formation variation. Uh, And teams do that all the time. That's part of the NFL. So he's capable of doing that. So I think you'll see that. I mean, you could easily see a situation where they have Samuel in the backfield and then three other wide receivers on the field. Um, I'm sure that's – I know he hasn't practiced, so you don't know if you've seen that. We, you know, we, we haven't seen it because he hasn't been out there, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them do that. That doesn't make him a gadget player. It just makes him versatile in, in where you can line him up within the context of
0: your offensive formations. But knowing the sort of all the pieces that they have, uh, you have a Terry McLaurin who's you know, another ascending player, you know, such a polished route runner, he's got speed, You know, one of the better – receivers in the league we just mentioned logan thomas mm-hmm. the other receivers that they have and adam humphreys is a veteran from the slot the brown's interesting rookie like h- how do you think is the best way to sort of maximize all these pieces or is it just like hey don't overthink this put McLaurin on one side put sam on the other you've got thomas and tight end gibson and just kind of take advantage of those talents and 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 don't overthink the situation yeah, i mean it's not a matter
1: of overthinking it's it's you have mclaurin who last year played a lot of x is he ideally an x probably not um you've got humphreys who's primarily a slot um Damian brown lined up solely on the outside in college
0: uh, uh has he had a good camp yeah i think he's had some i think he's had some splash plays he's been without samuel he's been i think working more and more up in the rotation um and I, I think he's made some good plays i i i question the other day if he's already their second best receiver which is not a, di- a diss on Humphreys who's solid but kind of you know he is that well Humphreys one Humphreys
1: is, is what he is he's a right, slot right.
0: receiver right. you
1: know I mean he's not a guy who's going to catch 90 balls you know Brown was predominantly the ex-receiver in North Carolina um he he predominantly lined up to the boundary he almost always lined up on the left side of the formation though so you know I'm that he probably needs some work just overall and in lining up in different places. So I I don't know how they're going to map this out, but there's no question McLaurin can line up both outside and in the slot. Um, Humphreys is primarily a slot. Uh, Samuel can line up anywhere. Um, Let me ask you a
0: question. What kind of camp has Dax Milne had? Dax Milne has been good this is weird like you know two years ago they were starting Kelvin Harmon and Steven Sims not but because of by mistake those were like the best guys they had now both of those guys have already been released not because they had bad camps but because there's so much more depth Dax Milne is one of these guys who's been totally uh, totally fun solid uh, option he's made plays I you know I personally think he's the kind of guy you probably risk slipping through waivers he was the Pen- right. pick of the draft and receivers are just so deep around the league but i think he has done enough that based on what i've seen if they didn't have a bunch of other guys that i think he could make the team just based on what we've seen in camp so we'll see but i mean it's it's it's
1: not a matter of, like you said it's not overthinking it's just they have players who can line up in different places and that's that's fine i mean that's ultimately what you want because you want to have some kind of formation variation and uh and that's what they'll have um you know, McLaurin's a really good receiver. Like I said, my guess is in an ideal world, you wouldn't consider him a big time one, but he's a really good receiver.
0: Uh, absolutely. For sure. All right. This has all been foreplay now to get to the Ryan Fitzpatrick conversation as, as before I let you go. Um, obviously <laughs> you've probably watched a lot, a lot, a lot of tape on Ryan Fitzpatrick over the years, playing for all kinds of scenarios for all kinds of different teams and all kinds of different systems or what have you he's coming here he's get for the rare, a rare time for him he's the the guy I know Ron Rivera has not technically named him the starter at the moment we're talking which oh, is going to be the starter <laughs> yes it's just semantics he's just not looking to do it for whatever his coaching reasons are but uh Ryan Fitzpatrick is the guy there was no competition effectively so the question though is on the one hand I keep saying he's clearly better than what they had a year ago he'll be an aggressive down the field thrower Scott Turner can use those parts of the playbook they have better weapons. That should be interesting compared to last year. On the other hand, he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that comes with that roller coaster ride is is pretty well documented. We see it in practice. Some throws are great. Some throws you're like, (laughs) where, where's that going? I guess, what's your view on where, on this Ryan Fitzpatrick scenario? And what do you, what do you expect? Or what, what, I I don't know if you can expect anything out of Fitzpatrick, but what's, what's your, what's your best uh, estimation of what we might see from him in this offense?
1: Fitzpatrick's had a pretty good NFL career and he's probably started a lot more games than people think. I mean, he's probably up in the 150 range as far as NFL starts. Um, you kind of nailed it. I mean, Fitzpatrick is, is an aggressive mindset thrower. They'll turn it loose. He can make throws. He doesn't have a gun, but he can make throws. And the key is, is how you can sort of balance him a little channel him a little because the same sort of the same gene that allows him to be aggressive throwing the ball is the same gene that every once in a while, you know, results in him making a throw where you, you scratch your head. So I don't know. I'm not a coach, Ben, so I don't know exactly how they work through that. But you can line up and play with Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's no problem with him at all. And if they can run the football and don't forget, you, you have to think of this in terms of an overall team. This is a team that has a really, really good defense. So They will try to rein him into some degree because due to their defense, they're going to be in games. They don't want to lose games turning the ball over. So I think what you'll see is calculated, schemed, big play shots, but they probably don't want him dropping back by choice 35, 38 times
0: a game. Right. It, you know, it's interesting, right? I mean, people, when they remember that Ravens team with Ray Lewis, the one that was just the d- dominant defense, you had Trent Dilfer was basically no disrespect to Trent Dilfer, but it was like, Hey, be the game manager. Don't kind of m- muck this thing up. Just move the ball effectively. Don't turn it over or whatever. And like Alex Smith was kind of like that guy for a chunk of his career. At least that was the perception of him. And and that kind of does make sense if you have a dominant defense, which is also another reason why Fitzpatrick is so interesting because he is the literal opposite of that by nature and at 38 i'm imagining you're not gonna be able to completely change no. what what he can do um are, are there
1: are- so you try to deal with it Ben, with play calling and your approach that's how you try to deal with it like i said you'll take calculated shots because you have to you, you there is a correlation no matter how good your defense is, and analytics and sabermetrics do all this stuff, I don't do that kind of thing, but I, I know people who do, um, that there is a correlation between explosive pass plays and, and winning football games. So you do have to try to create explosive pass plays, but you do that in a very calculated way. You do that on first and 10, on second and three. You, you know, they don't need to come out. I'm not saying they'll never do this. Of course they will, because every team tries to do everything, because the The more you show a defense the tougher you are to defend but they won't foundationally be a team that you know goes that spreads it out and has Fitzpatrick throw it all over the yard that won't be what they foundationally do there'll be moments like that because you want to show defenses different looks and be different and make them defend more but they'll they'll try to be calculated with their their downfield throws
0: it's gonna be fascinating. Everybody keeps asking me how they're gonna be this year. I'm like, I, you tell me. I, I, you know, I don't. I well, think they've got
1: a good defense, and that'll keep them in games. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, I mean, look what happened last year. They made the, they made the playoffs.
0: Right. I know they, regardless of that, they had the losing record. They won five of their last seven games with a quarterback who, God bless Alex Smith, but like he obviously was pretty limited with what he could do. Didn't have a ton of weapons, and yet, um, you know, they, 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 they did a good job. And yeah, if the offense can be at least a complementary piece and not an anchor. To what should be, you know, we can debate top five, top ten, whatever. But a defense that's going to be one of the better ones in the league, in in theory, that should be uh, that should be a good combination. Yeah, and
1: they've got some questions though on their old line, which need to be worked out. So that's that's a a factor that needs to be, you know, thought through here.
0: Uh, I was going to ask you about the offensive line, but look, I've I've kept you long enough uh, for 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 another day. We can watch, I'm sure, when you get to talk about Washington on the NFL matchup show on ESPN starting September 11th, Greg, thank you so much for the time as always. All right. Um, Many thanks to Greg Cosell for his time. Thoroughly enjoyed um, talking to Greg Uh, big. He's been uh, a supporter of of, of me and the podcast. I really appreciate it. I mean, considering, um, you know, all that he has done Uh, thanks to everybody here for listening and subscribing to the podcast Uh, You can go check out The Athletic. Uh, Check me out on Twitter at Ben Standig. Stay safe. Have a happy Labor Day weekend. I I may have another podcast up before the end of the week. We'll see. Uh, But for now, that's it. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time. See ya.